Nehemiah chapter 7 is where we're going to be this morning with a message entitled, What is God Looking For? What's God Looking For? And uh, remember, this, this, the title of the series is God's Work, God's Way. Now, if you've ever get the responsibility to be a team captain uh, of a sport, of a pickup game, of dodgeball, where you get to begin to pick players. You guys ever experienced anything like that? Now, if you ever have had that responsibility or get that responsibility, uh, there are usually certain things that you look for in someone, right? If you're playing dodgeball, uh, you're going to look for someone who, right, maybe some people that are quick on their feet, uh, that can throw a ball hard. If you're playing basketball, you're probably going to try to look for someone tall. Uh, and there are certain characteristics, right? Maybe someone athletic or depending on what sport it is, maybe big or tall. However, there are some times where what appears on the outside to be uh, maybe pick number one or two doesn't always end up that way. I used to play a lot more pickup basketball games than I do now. And there's times when, you know, you kind of have the, the two captains to pick teams and uh, and naturally, you would try to see who the tallest people are, especially if you didn't know them, if it was just like maybe, a, you know, a community type thing, uh, you'd probably pick the taller person. And I remember there were times when picking the taller person, you're like, all right, like he's going to dunk, we're going to get some rebounds. And then you see them dribble the ball. And it's just, it's just embarrassing. It's like they don't even have hands. It's just oars and they're just like patting it, right? And there's times where, right, the appearance can be deceiving, and sometimes the way that we would choose or the things that we would pick don't always end up the way that we think. And so the question we will be looking at today is what does God look for when picking his team? What does he look for when he desires to invite us to be a part of what he's doing for the furtherance of the gospel? What kind of characteristics and aspects uh, are, are, is God looking for? Well, if we look to the men who Jesus picked to be his 12 disciples, uh, if you just took the appearance only, uh, Jesus didn't build the dream team. Uh, from the world standards, if you were just to look at the 12 men of all the people that Jesus could have picked from, he picked these guys. He picked uh, dirty, smelly fishermen. He picked hated uh, despised tax collectors. He picked uh, political, uh, really, uh, rebels and wackos to be a part of what he was doing. He did. And we will see, and we see in the scriptures, that many, many would not look at these men as qualified for the spiritual work that Jesus did. And so, the question today is, what does God look for in someone? And hopefully, by the end of our study, each and every one of us will be able to answer that question. Now, last week, we dove back into the book of Nehemiah, and we studied that, if you can remember, that Hail Mary, the last-ditch effort to distract Nehemiah to get them to stop building the wall. And of course, it wasn't very successful and Nehemiah finishes the wall in chapter 6. And this is where we see a specific and definite transition in the book of Nehemiah. Now, this book is 13 chapters long. We've gone through six chapters. Uh, and those are the, really the more uh, thick 
kind of uh, passages. As we transition to this next half, we'll go through a little bit quicker uh, just for the nature of, of what's in there and the content. Uh, but what we see now is a transition where for the first six chapters, it was all about rebuilding the wall. Uh, we, we saw that a week after week. Now the wall is done, but the book doesn't end. The focus of Nehemiah shifts and transitions into no longer rebuilding the wall, but to restoring the people. And so if you're taking notes, you can just put Nehemiah chapter 7 dash through 13, the rest of the book, 7 through 13, are all about restoring the people. 1 through 6 is all about rebuilding the wall. But now the wall is built and the contents of the city need to be Dwelt, uh, dealt with. And so within this chapter, we're going to see that Nehemiah begins to appoint uh, people in the city for certain tasks. We'll see that he appoints leaders and he sets up a system of guarding now what they built so it doesn't just get destroyed again. And he will begin the process of seeing, okay, beginning to count and number who is all in the city, who is a part of this work that God is doing. So let's dive in. Nehemiah chapter 7. Now, look in your Bibles. Hopefully, you're turned there already and you're ahead of, the, ahead of the game. But most of this chapter is names. And there's nothing wrong with the names. They're good. That God has seen fit that uh, they are in here. Uh, but for the sake of time, we are simply going to read the first five verses. Uh, and all the names are basically a genealogy, a record of those who had left Babylon escaped and now are back in Jerusalem. And so uh, there's certainly a purpose in there, but not a purpose that we're going to get into today. And so our focus will be on the first five verses, specifically verse two. All right, you guys ready to read? You guys have your Bibles open? Let me see them. Let me see them. All right, if you forgot yours, no problem. Uh, There should be a very kind and loving neighbor next to you that will certainly help you out. All right, look at verse one. Then it was when the wall was built and I had hung the doors, when the gatekeepers, the singers, and the Levites had been appointed that I gave the charge of Jerusalem to my brother Hanani and Hananiah, the leader of the citadel. For he was a faithful man and feared God more than many. And I said to them, do not let the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot and while they stand guard. Let them shut and bar the doors and appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, one at his watch station and another in front of his own house. Verse four. Now the city was large and spacious, but the people in it were few and the houses were not rebuilt. Then my God put it into my heart to gather the nobles, the rulers and the people that they might be registered by genealogy. And I found a register of the genealogy of those who had come up in the first return and found written in it. And then for the rest of the chapter, the names are listed. Let's pray. Uh, Father in heaven, we are here this morning for you. Uh, Not out of obligation, hopefully for these students, not because their parents made them. And even if that would be the case, Lord, we want to just open our hearts to you right now. We want to give you our attention and our minds. Lord, we don't want to simply follow you in the word, but follow you 
in deed, in action. And so, Lord, would you um, speak to us this morning through your word, Lord, that we would have a greater understanding of who you are and what you require and desire of us, that we might live a life for you, not for self, not for the world, not for anyone else, but for you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. So we left off chapter six, the wall is built. And this was a huge first step. This was step one in the process, but there were more to follow, right? Honestly, this was almost the easier work to be done. Uh, I'm sure it didn't seem like it at the time, but the wall is built, the perimeter. But what about the inside? What about uh, the uh, reestablishing uh, the worship of the people and the temple or rebuilding the houses and the marketplaces. And, and really, they now began to fill and needed to fill the city. And so Nehemiah shifts gears here and begins to uh, focus on the restoring of the people. And with all that work that Nehemiah has put into Jerusalem, um, it's clear from Scripture that it wasn't for selfish reasons. Like Nehemiah didn't get this idea in his head, like, hey, let's go back to Jerusalem. Let's rebuild it. I'll become the new king. Everyone will worship me. It'll be great. And uh, we'll go from there. Uh, No, his goal was actually to go, get things up and running, and go back to his job under the king of Persia as his cupbearer and advisor. How do, how do we know this? Well, look back in Nehemiah chapter 2, not in your Bibles, on the screen. You can in your Bibles if you want, if you're good at flipping. Uh, but Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 6 says, Then the king said to me, this is right real early on. This is before Nehemiah has even stepped foot in Jerusalem. The king said to me and the queen also sitting beside him, How long will your journey be and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me and I set him a time. Now, from chapter two, we don't know how long of time, it's not specific on what he said to the king, but it was clear that the king's expectations and Nehemiah's promises to the king was that he wouldn't stay in Jerusalem, but was to come back. Now, we know if you look all the way at the end of the book, that Nehemiah was in Jerusalem consecutively for 12 years. And so, it's safe to assume that, that Nehemiah, Nehemiah probably said maybe 12, 12 years or something around there. At this point, 12 years after his first arrival, he returns back. Uh, this is even past where we're at now and then would kind of make these small trips. Now, why is this important? Uh, this is important because Nehemiah is not doing this for selfish reasons. He's doing this because it was something that the Lord had put on his heart. And because he knows this, he begins to try to set things in order that the city would be able to progress with his absence in mind. And so that's why chapter 7 opens up with kind of these, these steps after the wall is completed. Look there in verse 1. Everyone should be looking down to their Bibles. Look at verse 1. We're told that Nehemiah appoints gatekeepers. What do you guys think gatekeepers are? 
people who keep the gate. All right, don't, don't overthink that. Uh, people who keep the gate, uh, that they're setting guards. So he made sure like, hey, okay, we just built this wall, put some gates, like we should probably have some people manning it. And then he appoints singers, which at first is kind of random. Uh, when it's talking about singers, it's not just people like that are singing Adele and, and going around the, the song or singing some secular music. Uh, but, but this has to do with the worship of God by song. And so singers, so has to do with worship. And Levites, those who would facilitate the ministry of the temple. The Levites uh, were from the tribe of Levi and they were the priestly tribe. And so the very first thing he sets up, make sure, okay, the walls are good. All right, the worship of God is good and the ministry of the temple is good. All right, so that's verse one. Now look at verse two. Additional to this, Nehemiah appoints two men who would have charge or authority over Jerusalem. All right, so look there in verse two. And I want you, someone by raise of hand, to give me the first name that is mentioned. He, he puts two guys in charge. Uh, who is the first uh, person that is mentioned there in verse two? Yeah, Jordan. Yeah, Hanani. So everyone say Hanani. All right, this was Nehemiah's actual brother. Uh, we're told here that he was his brother, and this was one of the two men that he set in charge. This would have been that same brother who back in chapter one was the guy who told Nehemiah about the state of Jerusalem in the first place. Nehemiah chapter one, verse two says, uh, Hanani, one of my brothers, like literal brothers, not just like bro, and some men from Judah came and I asked them about the surviving Jews who had escaped and survived the captivity and about Jerusalem. And so Hanani's really been an integral part of this whole thing from the very beginning. He's the one that sparked that fire and that flame that was in Nehemiah's heart to do this. And so we're told that he's now back in Jerusalem and Nehemiah seems to deem this, this brother of his as loyal and good for the city. And so he appoints them, uh, this man as charged. Now there's a second one mentioned. Uh, someone by raise of hand, give me the second name. Yes. Hananiah. So everyone say Hananiah. Okay, these are two different people, Hanani and Hananiah, all right? They're not the same person, though their names are uh, intimately associated. Uh, but these were the two separate guys that Nehemiah chose to put in this position. Uh, now, Hananiah, uh, we are told who he is. We're told that he is the leader of the citadel, all right? Now, the leader of a citadel, uh, I had no idea what that was, so I had to go and look. It was basically, he was the officer in charge of the, the guards around the wall. So he was kind of like more involved in the, the military police type of enforcement. He was like the commanding officer. And so uh, Nehemiah sees that this person's already involved and puts him at the charge of Jerusalem. Now with him, we're actually given two reasons. Nehemiah includes in the scripture two reasons why he chose this guy out of all the people he could have chose from. And I want you to note them down there in verse two, we're told that this guy, Hananiah, was a faithful man and that he feared God more than many. He was a faithful man and he feared God more than many. That idea when it says more than many, do you guys see that in verse two? That's the idea that it was above and beyond. 
he wasn't your average Joe or even your average Hananiah. Uh, he was out of the ordinary. He displayed a greater uh, faithfulness and fear towards God in his life than the average person. And, and just simply these two things, because he feared God and he was faithful, it was obvious. It was evident. You didn't have to go search his Instagram and Facebook just to see his, his posts about how much he loved the Lord. It just came out of his very life. And so we see that this was his reason for picking this man. Now, this is where we're going to kind of land and kind of dive into a little bit. Now, if you remember back in Nehemiah chapter 5, we did a whole study about what it means to walk in the fear of God. Does that ring a bell to anyone about how fearing God doesn't mean right, being afraid of him, but having a respect towards him? And so we did a whole study on that in Nehemiah 5. And so do you see how there, there's two things? We're going to uh, leave the second for another time and focus on the first. Focus on the first. You know, Nehemiah just gave this massive responsibility to this man, Hananiah. He was to take charge of the well-being of the future of Jerusalem. It was crucial that this man who he chose was to be a faithful man. If the wrong man was chosen, then within a short period of time, the city would just go back to the state that it was before. And all the work, all that God had done would be lost. And so he had to choose a faithful man. I want you to note this down, this word faithful. It means reliable. It means someone who is trustworthy, worthy of trust. Someone who is dependable, meaning you can depend on them. Reliable, meaning you can rely on them. They will be true to what they say. Someone who is loyal, someone who possesses integrity. And we all love faithful people. Every one of you love faithful people, whether you know it or not. Uh, we love them, the people in our lives who are faithful, and we love when people are faithful to what they tell us, right? You love when whoever is picking you up from school or practice is faithful to be there on time. Isn't the worst? I remember being your age, and it's the worst when you're the last one. You have nothing to do about it. It's too far to walk home. It's embarrassing. The teachers are asking where you're at. The coaches are calling your parents. They're not answering, and it's that, it's that feeling, right? And so you want whoever's picking you up to be faithful to pick you up on time, right? We love faithful people when it comes to group projects at school. Where's your name if you've ever been a part of a group project? Oh, man. And then you get that one person who is unfaithful, right? You, where you end up doing the whole project. You stay up till 2 a.m. just to do the project because it comes the day before. The person who had the assignment is like, ah, I didn't do it. You're like, what do you mean you didn't do it? Like, it's my grade two. And so then you have to then pick up their slack all because they were unfaithful. You want to pick faithful people. You know, if you have a doctor or a dentist that you go to, you want them to be faithful. You don't want them to be like, oh, yeah, yeah, you're fine. Like, it, it, it's all good. And there's something to be wrong with you. You want to be able to trust their advice and their word. You want to make sure that that, that uh um, doctorate that they have on their, uh, on, in their office is legitimate and not printed from Google, right? You, you want them to be faithful people. And so to answer the question of what God is looking for, he's looking 
for faithfulness. This is God's number one quality and characteristic that he's looking for. The, it's been said before that the greatest ability is dependability. And it's true. The greatest ability is dependability. God is not looking of what you can or cannot do for him, but rather what you are willing to do for him. It's not about your ability or your talent or your good looks, but it's about your faithfulness, reliability, and dependability. And this is different uh, than the way that the world looks at things. So often it's the outward appearances. It's, it's the performance base. But I love that we have a God who doesn't look at us and choose based upon the things that we look at and choose. I don't know about you, but I'm grateful because I feel like I don't have any like special skills. I don't have any like, you know, super talent, super amazing talents or abilities. Uh, and, and, and I'm thankful that God can take the, the man that I am and can use me for his glory. And I'm thankful that God doesn't look based upon the things that the world looks at to be a part of what he's doing, a part of his work. Notice that, that Nehemiah gave charge to this man, to Hananiah, his brother, and then Hananiah, this faithful man. This word to give charge, it means to appoint or assign. It means to give a responsibility or duty to. Something that says, this is now yours and do it. And in a similar way, God is looking to give charge within his kingdom, within his church. Now, I'm not talking about working at a church. I'm not talking about just being a pastor or being a senior pastor. I'm not talking about, talking about a job or a position, though it can include those things. But what I'm talking about is an opportunity that God desires right now. And I believe he's looking right now for those even here, who can I give responsibility to? Who can I trust? Who can I give charge to? God is on the constant look for those to whom will be faithful to him. God has assignments and responsibilities and duties for the furtherance of the gospel and building up of his kingdom. But so often people miss out, not because they couldn't perform, not because they didn't have the right look, not because they didn't have the right skill, but simply because they were unfaithful with what God had given them in the moment. Now, the unfortunate part is that in our culture, there is a spirit of, of laziness that has permeated our world and has crept into the church for sure, where now responsibility that's like, oh, responsibility? Like, I don't, I don't want that. And, and people just want to be children forever. That's why you have adults, rather than just being an adult, they say, well, you know, I, I'm, I'm adulting. No, you're just being an adult. But there's this, there's this attitude of, I just want to stay a child forever, which means, right, in the, in the, in the mind, it's, I, I don't want to have any responsibilities or duties. Now, According to scripture, 
the responsibilities that God gives, it is a privilege. And it is something that we should look for and look forward to. And that type of mindset should not creep in into our relationship with the Lord, nor have any place in our life. But, but oftentimes it has. Now, now, what do I mean responsibilities and duties? Like that sounds so official. Let me give you some, some examples. So some of you guys serve in children's ministry, right? Um, so, so normally when we think of serving, you can always think of like serving at the church. Now there's a lot of things outside of that and I'll touch on a couple, but let's just take that. Let's take some of you have stepped out in faith and you're like, okay, maybe some of you like, I don't even like children, but this is kind of the, the spot that we can serve. So, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll serve in children's ministry. What, whatever the motivation has been, uh, you have stepped into that position to be around with a bunch of, uh, crazy four and five year olds that just want goldfish and want to run out of the classroom. Now, now, you have stepped into that for now out of, out of faithfulness, out of obedience. Um, and I know for me, when I was a sophomore in high school, I started serving in the special needs ministry. And uh, I remember at first, like, I don't think I was very helpful. I was just kind of there. Uh, I, I showed up and, uh, you know, made sure that the, the kids had their snacks and, uh, you know, made sure that they didn't run out of the room. And that was about it. That was about the extent of my serving. But over time, I just kind of showed up every week and was there. I showed up on time, uh, made sure everything was taken care of. I did my small duty. And then over time, like more responsibility was given to me. Uh, that I was able to maybe teach one of the lessons, which at first that sounded terrifying. Uh, able to maybe help facilitate other things or talk with parents. And I, and, and, and so the opportunities and responsibilities increased. You know, I can just even think about, uh, you know, my, my, my job here. Uh, now, <laughs> for all of you, it doesn't, doesn't mean you, you know, you start, you start serving and you're going to work at the church. That's not like the end goal. That's a select few. Uh, God, God works predominantly on people uh, who do not work at the church. Uh, the majority of the leadership does not work here. And so, but I, I can just tell you from my own experience, it was like I started serving in special needs ministry. Uh, I didn't get like then hired on like right away as like the junior high pastor. No, I just started serving in junior high. I had no desire to, to do what I do. Uh, and then I remember at first even being in this room, I would just kind of show up and then sit in the chairs and, uh, you know, maybe talk to one or two students. And, and I just kept on showing. I remained faithful to what God had given me at that time and God increases. You see, this is what he does. Um, I can think about uh, some of you here in this room. Uh, when new people come in, uh, there's been times when I've, uh, you know, kind of, hey, I've asked, uh, I say, hey, like, can I introduce you to someone? And, and, and sometimes I get it. It's a little uncomfortable. Sometimes it's just like you say hi to them and then, and then walk away and, and, and that's it. They're like on their own to fend for themselves. There's some of you though that are just like, man, you just go above and beyond though it's kind of awkward and uncomfortable because you don't know this person. Like you invite them to sit with you and invite them to like, you know, be around, get to know them a little bit. And so when the next new person comes in, who am I gonna go to? Who, who am I gonna give that, that next opportunity and responsibility to? See, quite simply, to be given a responsibility, you must be responsible, right? Now, it sounds, because of the way that our world is, that sounds like such a drag. 
That sounds like a bummer. That sounds like, man, I, just, I, don't, I don't want any part of that. More responsibility? Like, it sounds like a chore. But I want you to think about your parents' job. Hey, whatever they might do, whether it's your dad, mom, whatever they do at their job. Now, they want to be faithful because them being faithful at their job, over time, what does that do? What does that mean? That means promotions. That means more money. And sometimes we don't associate that responsibilities and greater responsibilities equal greater joy and greater freedom. And so we only look at like, oh man, that's like something I have to do. And we never think about the other side of it. But when, but your parents at work, they want, they want those, they want more responsibility. They want the more duties, the more uh, things to be trusted with, because they know that means more money, more opportunity, more things. That means you you guys can go on vacation. That means uh, you, you don't have to just be eating top ramen, but you can maybe have something else, right? And you know, we see this even at home uh, with, with certain privileges that maybe your parents may or may not give you. See, listen, if your parents ask you to take out the trash, but it's still there the next day, and they have to tell you again and again and again, what makes you think when you turn 16 that they're going to entrust you with the keys of a vehicle that could, that could wreck people's lives, that they're going to pay for your car insurance? You can't even take out the trash, you can't even take out the trash and you, and you want to drive a car? You see, we see these things in our life in general and it's no different within the kingdom of God. That even now your parents and your parents are looking at your life and they want to give you more opportunity. They want to give you more freedom, right? They, they want you to be able to go to someone's house. They want you to be able to do this or handle that. But, they, but they're looking, can we trust them? Right? We want to give them these responsibilities, but are they responsible? And you see, God will not give us something until we've been faithful with what we've already been given. This is what Jesus talks about. Right? He who is faithful in little will be faithful in much. And so let's say whatever it is in your life that's happening right now, I believe God is looking and wanting and desiring to use you in greater ways but are you faithful in the things he has before you now? See, God's basis for how he picks is so much different, different than ours. Uh, we pick based upon right, what someone can do. God picks based upon what someone is willing to do. Do you guys see the difference? We only see what someone is. God sees what someone will be, meaning God is looking at the faithfulness and loyalty in your own life. Is this, is this making sense? Is this tracking? Yes. This is very important. Not just for like, nor- I mean, we could go down the normal just life stuff and faithfulness. But when it comes to the kingdom of God and being a part of what he's doing. Now, listen, if today you're saying, I don't really want to be a part of, of anything. I don't, I don't want to have influence on people and I, and I don't want to be used by God, then that's okay. He's not going to make you. He's not going to force you. But God does invite. God says, do you, do you want to be part of impacting other people's eternity? Because I'd like to use you. I believe God would be saying that to each one of us. Now, we see this demonstrated in the story of David's anointing. Do you guys know the story of King David in the Bible? Uh, now, he used to be what? What was his occupation before king? He was a shepherd. And he was anointed by whom? Anyone know? 
No, he was anointed by Samuel, right? Saul was the previous king, and that king was picked based upon what the people wanted. They wanted someone who looked kingly, right? So Saul was one of the tallest people in Israel. He was a good-looking dude, and, uh, but he was a terrible person. Uh, he, he was okay at first, and then began to disobey God, uh, began to be unfaithful to the laws of God, and uh, God saw this from a mile away, but gave the people what they wanted. But now God stepped in and was like, all right, you guys had your king, didn't work out. Uh, let's, let, let me have a, a go at it. And so we see the story in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, where Samuel is sent out to the house of Jesse in Bethlehem uh, to pick a king. And so he, he goes to the house thinking that, you know, this next king was going to look like a king. And uh, he gets there, and uh, he first spots uh, Jesse's first uh, and, and oldest son. And we see that right when he spots him, he's like, this, this must be the one. Uh, and he says it out loud. And in that moment where he spoke too soon, we see that the still small voice of God spoke to him and said this in verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or his, at his physical stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Listen, God sees differently than we do. He looks not at the outward appearance, but he's looking at the heart. And what's, it, what's he looking for in the heart? He's looking for loyalty. In 2 Chronicles 16, 9, this is uh, when uh, Asa is king, A-S-A, uh, King Asa, he sins against the Lord. For the most part, King Asa had a pretty legitimate reign. You know how there's a lot of bad kings uh, in Israel that we read about? Uh, Asa was one of the good ones until the end of his life, and then began to compromise. And we're told that he began to rely on a different king uh, of another nation rather than the king uh, a king of kings. And, and so this guy comes to him and begins to basically pronounce judgment, like, hey, your kingdom's going to be taken away from you, yada, yada, yada. And he says this, and it's a very important verse for us. Look at Second Chronicles 16.9 on the screen. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. I believe right now God is scanning this room to look to and fro. Right? It means to look look one way, look another, and he's looking. And he's not looking for how you did your hair this morning. He, he, he's not looking for you know the, the, the push-ups that you did yesterday and, and seeing if it okay. He's not looking for your, your height. He's not looking for how cool you are. He's not looking at for how good you are at speaking. He's not looking at how, how popular you are or whatever it might be. He's looking for loyalty. Who's loyal to me? Who, who's going to be loyal to me even if they don't want to? Who's going to be faithful to me? The Bible says that he want, he's looking for that person to show himself strong on their behalf, to do something in their life that they don't have the power to do. God says, I don't need you to do anything. I just need you to be loyal and I will do the rest. And isn't this how God picks? 
You, you see the Bible as a whole, he doesn't pick the strong and the mighty because then they could claim the glory for themselves. He picks those who are unlikely. He, he looks for those who no one else would bat an eye. Why? Because then when he does something strong in and through them, then it is clear that it wasn't themselves, but it was God in and through them. To be loyal, right, is to be fully devoted and undivided. Loyalty and faithfulness, they always go hand in hand. Think about a marriage, right? Marriage, when they, when they have those wedding vows, and in those vows are promises to one another of loyalty and faithfulness. Loyalty and faithfulness are the foundations of a relationship, right? In that, it's, I promise to be loyal to you. I promise to be faithful, meaning even if I don't want to be, I'm going to be. This is a commitment, and it is out of our loyalty towards the Lord that faithfulness in our life follows, that there's this initial I will be loyal, right? Think about our commitment to Christ. That's what it is. It's, it's kind of like those wedding vows. I am committing to follow you, Lord, no matter what happens. And God's searching. You know, we always think about man searching for God. Like you, we're always encouraged. We should seek after the Lord and totally. But how often do we think about God searching for us? And I know for me, I don't want to be someone that he has to look past because of my own unfaithfulness. And so I think, it's, I think it really is in the small things, like Jesus said. That if, if he, think about it. If he can't trust you in the sense that when your parents ask you, let's go back to the, the trash, do the dishes, whatever it is. And you can't obey them in something that small. Why would he trust you with the eternal impact on, on another's soul. If God can't trust us with the physical stuff of life, then why would he be able to trust us with the spiritual stuff of life, right? And so they, they're connected and they go hand in hand. We see this illustrated for us in, in um, the parable of the talents. Have you guys ever heard of the parable of the talents? Raise your hand if you've ever heard of this parable. Okay, some of you guys. Have you ever heard of the phrase, well done, good and faithful servant? Raise your hand. Okay. So oftentimes that is quoted, well done, good and faithful servant, as a potential greeting to when the Christian arrives in heaven. And I think it's certainly possible uh, that that is a greeting that, that God could give us among other things. And in the parable of the talents, uh, if you guys are not familiar, essentially there's a man who, uh, no, it doesn't have to do with talents like uh, being able to stand on your head and do different things like that. Talent, a talent was a large sum of money, okay? Uh, and it's debated on, on how much it is, but we won't get into that. But the story goes where there is a man who had three people that worked for him, and he was going on a trip, so he called these people to him, and to one person, he gave five talents, okay? So uh, th let's say he gave $5 million, all right? And he said, okay, this, this is yours to look after and to invest in. Uh, and then he brought someone else up, and he said, these are your two talents, or maybe $2 million. Uh, it was m probably much more than that. And, and that person said, okay. And then there's a the last person, and does anyone know how much he gave that person? One talent, right? One 
uh, uh, talent, which was a sum of money. Now, the, the man left for a long time, and after a long time, came back and wanted to settle accounts. See, the expectation was that they would take what he had given him, be faithful with it, and invest that so that that money wouldn't just sit in the bank, but would gain interest, right? Would be used to gain more. And so he comes back and, he's, and he finds a guy that he gave five talents and he says, uh, you know, how, how, how to go? And he says, oh, it went well, I gained five more talents, doubled what was given for a total of 10 talents. Then he went to the second guy and uh, he had two talents. And guess what that guy did with the two talents? Ah, he made two, two more talents. He doubled what was given to him, made more than what was given. Then he comes to the last guy, and he only gave this guy one. And it was a, the Bible says it was according to each one's ability. And he gets to the last guy, and the, the last guy says, well, I was scared because I know you're like, you know, you're good with money, and, and, I, and so I didn't want to lose any of it. And so I just hit it in the ground, didn't do with anything with it, and uh, I still have the one for you. Now, I'd encourage you to go read the story. The master's reaction was anything but kind towards a servant that did nothing with what was given. And we're given that line that we're familiar with, well done, towards the ones that invested, the five and two talents. Well done, good and faithful servant, for you were faithful over a few things, and I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Now, what people don't often realize with this passage is that there was this promise for more responsibility. Part of our reward when we get in heaven is further responsibility within the kingdom of God. Now, we only think that we're going to serve God now, and then we get to heaven, and we just, we just kick our uh, feet back, and we just, we just hang out. No, there's, there's more plans that God has. There's going to be the new earth and new heavens, and, and there's going to be different people with different levels of responsibility, and, and that will be a good thing because with responsibility comes freedom and pleasure and joy and awesomeness, okay? And so what we do in this life now will determine the quality that we will experience in the life to come. Now, according to the Bible, though, faithfulness is not the standard for most. Most people are not faithful. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 6 says, Most men will proclaim each his own goodness, but who can find a faithful man? Meaning it's, it's rare. Uh, and that's why God has to look. Right? That's why God's, it's not just everyone, that God's looking to and fro. Who can I show myself strong? Who is loyal to me. Now, my prayer for you is that God has been speaking to you in your own life, personally, not just generally, but specifically. And so maybe today you're like, okay, like I, if that's what God looks for, I want to be faithful. If that's what God, if that's the requirement uh, to be used by God, then I want to be a woman and a man of faithfulness. Where do I start? Sometimes that's the hardest thing, right? Where you hear a message and you're like, yeah, like, amen, that's good. Like, let's do it. And then you leave and you're like, all right, faithful. But nothing ever happens. Right? The Bible says that we're not to just be hearers of the word, but doers. And so I want to give you a starting point, okay? Uh, I want to give you, uh, we should live lives of faithfulness. I just want to give you the first step, 
Say something that you can focus on today, this week. If you were to say, I want to be faithful. I want to challenge you, as Jesus said, that we should be faithful in our words. All right, Matthew 537. Hopefully you've heard from it before. If not, Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no, no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. So where's a place that you could start to be faithful in what you say? To be a man or a woman of your word. Meaning that if you tell something to somebody, that you do everything you can to follow through with that. You tell someone you're going to help them, even when you're tired, guess what you're doing? You're helping them. You tell, that you tell your parents before dinner, I'm emptying the dishwasher after dinner, and then you eat your dinner and you stuff yourself full and you just want to lay on the couch and do nothing, guess what you do? You get up and you do the dishes. Whatever it might be. Now, those are small things. It's in our... It's in our uh, how we interact with each other, and especially within our relationship with God. If we said that we're going to follow him, that we then follow through with that. This is something that we can just determine now. Now, all of us could determine, I'm going to be a, I'm going to be a person of my word. I'm going to let my yes be yes. So if I say yes, I'm gonna, it's going to mean yes. If I say no, then it's going to mean no. I don't need to like promise and swear and, and beg because I'm going to be someone that my yes means yes. I'm going to be someone that if, my, if I say no, then it means no, and I'm not going to be this back and forth person. I'm going to be faithful to my word. Now, we could all determine and then probably fail before the end of the day. But the Bible describes for us that within our pursuit of God and within maybe our pursuit of something specific like faithfulness, that it is good for us to be determined, but never apart from God's help. Meaning that within our determination, we need to bring that into the reality of knowing, God, I can't do this on my own. Lord, would you help me to be faithful? Why? Because we know that there's no way that we can be faithful without the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Without, without the Lord, uh, it's not going to happen. We know from Galatians 5, and 23, that faithfulness is a product of God working in our lives. And so there's our determination, but then there's God's power. And I believe if we have that desire and that determination, that God's going to honor that. And he is going to make in us and become in us faithful. You know, as we seek to be faithful to God, I'm very thankful that even in the times that we mess up, that God says that he remains faithful. He can't deny himself, the Bible says. I mean, he's our ultimate example. He is trustworthy. He is reliable. He is dependable. And God is looking for those to whom are loyal to him. All right, let's pray. Lord, we come before you and we thank you for your word. We thank you for speaking to us and we just pray. Lord, as I know that your eyes are on this room, you're looking at the hearts. Lord, you're not looking at anything else other than the heart of willingness. Lord, you're looking at the life of loyalty. You're looking at the life of, of, of are we faithful in just the small things that you've given us now. 
Lord, we don't want to restrict your blessings in our life because of our lack of faithfulness. And so, Lord, we pray that as you're looking, that you wouldn't look any further, but that you would, Lord, you would work in our life. Lord, the parts that are unfaithful and unloyal, that you would strengthen us to be loyal. Lord, we want your arm to be strong in our life. Lord, to use us. Lord, that our lives might not be for nothing. Lord, but would have eternal impact on the lives of those around us. God, we know this life is short and we want to live it for you. So we pray that you would do this in us now. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.